Welcome to Amped Up. This is your host, Ryan Knight, and our guest today is Tara Reed. Uh, Tara is the is a former intern for Leon Panetta and a former Senate aide for Joe Biden. She is a survivor, an animal rights activist, a writer, and a poet. Uh, Tara, welcome to Amped Up. Oh, thank you for having me, Ryan. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm so glad that you could come on. I know we've been kind of talking about getting you on the show for a while now, so I, I'm grateful that you're here today to, to talk uh, openly and honestly and have a chance to tell your story because I, I, I've, I've read some of the media articles and seen how kind of your story has been portrayed in the media, and it's, it's quite upsetting. Uh, so I'm glad that we have this uh, opportunity. Uh, I want to start off, you know, you have had multiple people cooperate your sexual assault allegation against uh, Vice President Joe Biden, including a court document uh, where your ex-husband says, confirms it. And there is even a video that surfaced a few months back of your mom calling into Larry King Live uh, in 1993, saying that her daughter had experienced uh, serious problems working for a quote-unquote prominent senator. Uh, your brother, as well as a friend, have also come forward to verify uh, that you told them of the assault. Uh, and yet, despite all of this cooperation, the Democratic Party, the party that claim, that has claimed over and over again that it believes women, uh, went from believing women to shaming, harassing, and doxing a woman like you when you speak the truth about one of their own. Are the Democratic Party hypocrites and have they damaged the Me Too movement and made it less safe for survivors to come forward? Um, well, the first part is yes. I think that the Democratic Party has um, really damaged Me Too with their handling of uh, me coming forward, but it's not the first time. I mean, there was Juanita Broderick um, regarding Clinton. Um, there's the Epstein case um, um, going on right now. Um, it seems to be when there's a prominent Democrat that's the perpetrator, uh, there's a different tactic used. Um, for me, what I experienced, and I think what you've seen is, is a weaponizing of shame and fear. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're living in a time where, you know, and, you know, we've talked about this before about just how intense this time is with COVID and, um, you know, people are dying and then we have... Um, you know, a movements um, emerging to try to change and make institutionalized change. But what's getting left behind are sexual assault survivors. So while Democrats are, are professing, at least the neolibs are professing to want to make positive change, they're not really walking the walk. They're just talking some talk. Right. And um, I think one of the primary examples was simply Joe Biden's campaign coming out and saying it was safe for me to tell my story, but then behind the scenes, their surrogates and their, you know, campaign supporters were doxing me, harassing my family. I received death threats. And this is a party I've belonged to for three generations in my family mm -hmm. and I worked for in my professional life. So it's been, I exited the Democratic Party and I don't know if they noticed, um, but I'm now an independent um, my views are very progressive and tend to be more in line with like AOC, um, you know, or Elizabeth, what, who Elizabeth Warren used to be or Bernie Sanders used to be, but more progressive. So, yeah. And I mean, has the Democratic Party even offered to do an, an, an investigation or, or anything? No, but I've offered to go under oath and uh, I did file a police report and was willing to. Um, if Joe Biden took a lie detector, I'd be willing to take one. You know, I was very serious. Um, but my, what happened to me when I worked for Joe happened, um, you know, 27 years ago. So I'm outside the criminal and civil statutes. And I know that right. one of the things people want to legislatively cha change is something like that. Um, but, you know, I, I think what's, what's sad is just the same sort of mythology that's used to discredit other survivors in the past. Mm. Um, in fact, Republicans were using it for, for people that were doubting Dr. Ford are now the Democrats are doing it with me and it, it's become, you know, almost politicized and, and, and it's ridiculous because sexual assault and sexual harassment is a very nonpartisan issue. 
and it crosses all socioeconomic bound, you know, boundaries. So, yeah, that's right. I mean, Donald Trump has had multiple women uh, come forward to accuse him of sexual assault. And the Republican mm-hmm. Party has completely looked the other way, just like the Democratic Party looked the other way when you came forward. And if there is, like you just said, if there's one issue in America that should be nonpartisan, it is sexual assault. Yet here we are, and both corporate parties in Washington are politicizing sexual assault. <laughs> they believe women survivors when it is politically advent- advantageous for their party, and they shame women when it is politically disadvantageous. Can you talk about and kind of expand on why it is so dangerous for political parties to weaponize and politicize sexual assault like this? And as a survivor, how did it feel for you to see an entire party that you belonged to for so many years come after you for speaking your truth? Um, it's been devastating in ways that I still haven't even processed, um, as far as what's, uh, the damage has been done. The damage personally to my life for coming forward has been, I've lost work. I lost Mm. my housing. I lost my reputation. Mm. Um, I lost everything. And, um, it's been, I've experienced betrayals and I'm still, like I said, kind of processing through that of people that are so fearful of Trump becoming president, they're ready to just dismiss me or even discredit me. And I, even though, even though I've said, look, I understand if you vote for Joe Biden, if, if you're, you know, you're really fearful of Trump being president and that's your view, that's your view. Voting's personal, but don't, you don't have to discredit me or smear me to validate your own thinking. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's part's dangerous. The other part was the classism, which was very, Hmm. um, prevalent. And, and what's really stunning about that is that classism was used by Democrats when James Carville was describing Paula Jones, when he said, oh, drag um, a $20 bill through a trailer park and see what you get, or a $100 bill, whatever he said, mm-hmm. and see what you find, you know, and referring to her um, again, and, and they referred to her in the most denigrating terms. And it was really ugly, um, the way she was smeared. And, and they were kind of using the same or tried to use the same tactics with me. They were bringing in my landlords. Oh, I owed money. Oh, I had a bankruptcy. I have no problems talking about my bankruptcy. I have no problems talking about the fact I'm a domestic violence survivor and that I raised my child alone with no child support. I have no problems with talking about financial struggles. I didn't come, you know, I did not get family support. I ended up supporting my mom at times um, and supporting my daughter. And Um, yes, I had debt and yes, I have student loan debt. Um, my law school loan alone is almost a quarter of a thousand dollars, right? I think a lot of people are struggling with these issues and they were attempting to use it to shame me, to make me less credible because I had a bankruptcy. So it made me ask the question, okay, well, how high does your credit score have to be for your sexual assault allegation to have veracity? Mm. And, and that's, you know, the hypocrisy at the rotten core of the Democratic Party. That's the corrupt part um, that I see. Yeah, I mean, it's you're hitting on so many points. And, and first, I just want to applaud your, your courage and your bravery to, uh, you know, amidst the storm that has come at you, that you're standing strong against the storm and, and speaking your truth. And Um, You know, you just hit on so many important points, especially the issue about classism, because I read the New York Times uh, report about you last night in bed. And I'm like, (laughs) the whole article is trying to discredit you because of your financial struggles, which is absolutely Mm -hmm. absurd. A a person's worth and a person's dignity has absolutely nothing to do with how how much money they have or don't have. Uh, And like you said, millions of Americans are struggling financially right now. Mm -hmm. And the fact that a major publication and a major political party would use that to insinuate that sexual assault victims who are poor should not be believed and and ones who are rich should be believed. I mean, it is a form of class warfare on a level that is just is dangerous, but I, again, it speaks to what is wrong and what is broken in our system. You know, our entire government right now and both major parties are basically an arm 
of Wall Street and an arm of the giant corporations and an arm of the billionaire class. Our government mm -hmm. doesn't work for the people. Our government works for these powerful interests. Our government works for the ruling class. So when someone challenges the status quo and challenges these powerful institutions, someone with courage, someone brave like you comes forward and you'd say that, you know, so the person who represents the neoliberal interest who wants to maintain, you know, the corporate donors of the DNC, you know, you came forward to speak truth about Joe Biden and then look how they respond. You know, they have to gaslight, they have to attack because none of the response at you was based on fact. It was all, you know, it was all smears and, and, and harassment and doxing and shame. And it just really, it gets me at my core that we're in this moment of, of massive levels of injustice and inequality in our country. And rather mm -hmm. than do anything about it, the parties are essentially pushing people down that have the courage to speak up like you. And, you know, and, and that's all really true about the, the disconnect from the Democratic Party. It's not the Democratic Party that I recognize. Um, and maybe it never was. Maybe I romanticized it when I was younger. Um, because it was already heading in that direction, right? Um, towards corporate interests and multi, now we're in multi-billion you know, dollar kind of. Um, and yep. I think uh, at the bottom of it all, at the very, very core of it is a lot of fossil fuel interests driven. Yep. Um, and then fear and the, how they've weaponized fear against a population to get control. And so when I, I kind of looked at my situation as a microcosm of the macrocosm, they were weaponizing fear and shame to try to silence me and to try to effectively silence anyone around me. Um, even journalists were threatened that wrote neutral articles or something that was seen as sort of positive would get death threats and whatnot. I was attacked on Twitter for standing up for you a few months back. I remember standing up for you and say, and just tweeting, you know, I stand with Tara, Tara and I got, I mean, hundreds of, of accounts started attacking me. So, you know, oh, and, yeah. and, and I speak out against the corruption in the Democratic Party mm -hmm. and in the Republican Party. And so I'm used to, I mean, I know just yeah. because, through my activism work, anyone who challenges the status quo is labeled divisive and is attacked because unfortunately, like there's so many people in society who don't see the underlying rot in our system. And so they're mm -hmm. actually protecting the very system that's pushing them down. And then they have the corporate media apparatus that, that, that normalizes all of the corruption and makes it look like, oh, it's just the red team and the blue team when both teams yeah. essentially are fucking over the American people. Um, and, yeah. and so it, I can only imagine uh, uh, what you have gone through um, and, and what, they've, what they've thrown at you. What's stunning, too, is, you know, you're younger than I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm older. And when I was in my 20s in 1983, I had this vision of what it was going to be like to work for Joe Biden, the senator, mm. and, and I thought his um, belief system was aligned with mine. So I was proud to work there, proud to work for the Senate. I thought we were going to do good things. Now, this was after Anita Hill, and I did have some qualms about that, but everyone did. But at the same time, overall, I thought, you know, this is the the fight for the good fight, right? I'm a Democrat and this is my, I'm aligned. I felt comfortable. I felt safe. I, it's the status quo, I guess. Um and then my eyes were quickly opened. When I pushed back in 1993, I, I was basically, my career was ended. Like that was it. When I filed that civil, when I filed the complaint about sexual harassment in the workplace, cause I didn't even address the sexual assault at that point um, in, in writing, they immediately stripped me of my duties and I, I lost my job. And I was forced to resign. Then I couldn't get another job on the Hill. My career was over. And, um, you know, you've, if you've listened to the Megyn Kelly interview, which is probably the most comprehensive about what happened, you'll may remember, like I talk about, and what's, what I remember very vividly is um, sitting on the stairs afterwards, shaking, not just because of the assault, but realizing the life that I knew was, I knew it was over. Like I had rejected someone so powerful. I, it, it was over. I made a choice in that moment to not go with him, to not, you know, be compliant. And that choice cost me my livelihood. And I don't think any woman should have to be in that position. So then you flash forward to 2019 
when I heard Lucy Flores and the other women come forward about him and they kept calling it unwanted touching, but they wouldn't say the word sexual harassment. They won't label it. Um, they just would call it unwanting touch, un, unwanted, unwanted touching, and he made women uncomfortable. Almost like subconsciously they're protecting power. Like they're protecting the power even though it's corrupt and it's hurting people. Yeah. And then that, then they threw me that kind of curveball where they called me a Russian agent. But, you know, they call me a Russian agent, right? Anyone who, <laughs> anyone who disagrees with the corporate takeover of the Democratic Party uh, right. or anyone who challenges the Democratic Party and who believes in that we should have a Medicare for all single payer health care system like every other mm -hmm. developed nation or anyone who believes that we should have a Green New Deal to save our planet uh, is labeled a Russian asset on Twitter. So, Tara, Tara, welcome yeah. to the to the Russian assets uh, gang. Uh, we believe in, in humanity. We believe in dignity. We believe in holding power accountable. And we don't right. believe in this blind obedience to political parties, especially, here's what gets me. It's not just that people are blindly obedient to the Democratic Party, and they do it mostly out of fear, like you said. And, and I get it, Trump is scary. But you're not gonna beat someone like Trump by just being in fear about him. You're going to beat him by offering the American people something better than what he's offering. Offering them Medicare for all, offering them a Green New Deal. But the corporate Democrats don't wanna do that because those policies help the people, but those policies are, are, are bad for the fossil fuel industry, which is one of the Democratic mm -hmm. Party's biggest donors, and Medicare mm -hmm. for All is bad for the giant insurance companies that, that are one of the Democratic mm -hmm. Party's biggest donors. So we're in the mm -hmm. space where the, the corporate Democrats are offering the people nothing except they're weaponizing the fear of Trump to stop any meaningful policy changes. So. You know, all of us who are fighting for the good and fighting for what is just and someone like you who is speaking truth to power and rising and standing up for, for survivors, you are labeled a Russian asset because that's the kind of gaslighting they have to do. And, and I think a lot of people do it because of, look, after Hillary lost, they didn't want to take accountability for it. It was a lot easier to say, oh, well, it was Russia than to say, oh, well, Hillary didn't campaign in the swing states. Hillary didn't have an economic message for working people, right? Hillary was still not supporting Medicare for all. So the, the corporate Democrats have become a party that just blames and scapegoats because they don't want to take accountability and they don't want to fight for the real change that we need in this country. Even when they have like um, real discussions about the mental decline that's obvious with Joe Biden. I mean, when, when what happened to me happened when he was 53 years old. He was very vital and powerful. And I was in my 20s. So he was a very different Joe Biden than what you see, that this kind of right. shuffling, kind of um, hesitant Grandpa Joe, right? Everybody's friend. He wasn't like that. Of, and if you look at tapes of him talking about the crime bill, which was 1994, that's around the same time, what happened to me, you'll see that that his real true temperament um, at that time, um, which was very powerful. But what I I just find it so interesting that they even blame the Russians for the mental decline. They there's an article in thehill.com the other day saying, oh, it's Russian misinformation that Joe Biden has mental decline. And I'm like, Really, that there's, you know, nice fucking try, but no. <laughs> well, nice fucking try because we can watch a video where he struggles <laughs> right. to articulate sentences exactly. and he rambles incoherently, kind of like mm -hmm. Trump does to it sometimes. I mean, it's sometimes I think yes. they're both kind of, you know, yes. mentally not all there. But again, right. we've become so tribal in our politics that yes. anyone who's brave enough like you to speak truth to power, you're automatically a Russian asset or a Russian agent. I mean, it's ridiculous to me. I mean, even people now, liberals now are making death threats uh, to the person who, uh, you know, called, um, who owns the salon, who, you know, said that Pelosi was disrespectful for, you know, not allowing salons to open, but then she goes to the salon and gets her hair done. Meanwhile, you know, the service industry and working class people are struggling and, you know, With the government's mask. not giving them any money. And so here, but now because liberals just blindly obey the party, they're making death threats to a small business owner. I mean, it's, this is to me, what is so sad about this moment that, that instead of like the Democrats had an opportunity to like actually fight for change and actually lead the country through one of its most, you know, 
through one of its most traumatic moments. I mean, we're dealing with a convergence of crises, right? From the climate right. crisis to the cost of healthcare crisis to a pandemic to, you know, eviction, uh, crisis. eviction crisis and a housing crisis and an economic mm-hmm. inequality crisis and a racial injustice crisis. So we've got real problems. And rather than like have any real bold progressive solutions, all Joe Biden and these corporate Democrats want to do is say, Trump, 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 you know, Trump, bad, Trump, bad, Trump, bad, Trump. Yeah, maybe Trump is bad, but that's not a policy that's going to improve anyone's life. You're saying Trump is bad isn't going to pay anyone's rent, isn't going to fill anyone's prescription, isn't going to save anyone from being evicted. So the party has become like, I just think that people don't realize how lost the Democratic Party is because they're so focused on Trump that they can't see that like the Democratic Party stands for nothing except being against Trump. And that's not enough. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think there have been some brave souls like yourself that have been trying to get that out there. Um, And it's hard. I I think that that the the Democrats are thinking they can throw a few crumbs at the progressives and get away with it. But just remember, our middle class is disappearing. I mean, the wealth gap has gotten, and you've pointed this out many times, we're we're not the United States of America, we're the United States of oligarchs. Well, there's 104 oligarchs funding, 104, um, funding Joe Biden's campaign, plus celebrities, of course. Um, And then, you know, and there's only 90 funding Trump's campaign. So literally, like right. the yeah. Democratic Party who claims to stand for working people, there's yeah. more oligarchs funding Biden's campaign than are funding Trump's campaign. Like this idea yeah. that the Democratic Party is for the people is complete blasphemy. They are for their corporate donors, just like right. the Republican Party. I mean, both parties don't represent the working people of this country. You know, an an example that hasn't changed um, was in 1993. Part of my duties was to supervise and select interns, sort of select. They they let me think I did, but they actually um, the chief of staff was uh, Ted Kaufman and um, he was from DuPont. DuPont's a huge um, supporter of Biden, always has been. And a lot of DuPont employees, children became interns. And I pushed back and said there needed to be more diversity as and, and class diversity as well, because there were these privileged kids um, of the upper echelons of DuPont getting the internships and no one else. And that was in 1993. And it's just still, it's still so part of entrenched in that, that thinking that they deserve the favors they deserve. It's just part of that club. And we're not part of that club. We are not. And I certainly wasn't then and I'm not now. And, and I just want people to know that, you know, this throwing the crumbs to the progressives, um, this trying to just give enough to the bourgeois to keep them happy from the revolution. It's not it's not sustainable anymore. It's not working. People are losing their livelihoods, their homes, you know, at an alarming rate right now. I think I think they just put in the moratorium of evictions through December, though. Trump's administration did that. Did he did he not? Yeah, the seat. Yep. The Trump, which is absolutely insane that the corporate dem- the leadership of the, of the corporate democrats speaker pelosi and chuck schumer have allowed trump to go to the left of them like that is how yeah. complacent and complicit they're being that now the trump administration has put a moratorium on evictions to basically mm-hmm. save anyone from being evicted through the end of this right. year and that is the kind of leadership you'd expect out of the democratic party but again yep. they're the they're it's like they can't see past donald trump And it's like they had four years since they lost to him to understand all the economic hardship in this country and to understand all the racial injustice in this country. And the best they have to offer the American people is is that that they're not Donald Trump. Like that is the lowest bar in political history. It, it, It is. Like tell me what you're fighting for. Don't tell me what you're against. Exactly. And like like AOC and Bernie Sanders, and I think, um, well, it came from, I think, Yang's um, kind of universal income idea. Yeah. They wanted to put through uh, a minimum 2000 a month. So did Markey, right? Yep. And Pelosi's, you know, like that's, where did she that go? She wouldn't fight for it. That You're absolutely right. The progressives fought to give everyone $2,000 a month, mm-hmm. especially working people who've been hit so hard, and Pelosi wouldn't fight for it. And that, nope. again, it shows the disconnect, you know, that 
she, I mean, look, Pelosi's worth $120 million. I mean, she, in a lot of ways, she has used her position in government to benefit herself. And I think that is the story of so many people in Washington, um, that they're not there to serve the people. They're ser- there to serve their own interests and the interests of their corporate donors, which is very sad. Um, I mean, a lot of people don't like to discuss this, but the reason we ended up with Trump was because of the failures of neoliberalism and the failures of the Obama administration to, you know, put the basic needs of working people over the interests of, you know, corporations and Wall Street. I mean, Obama sedated us with platitudes of hope and change, Mm -hmm. which sounded good on the campaign trail. And then he turned around and he governed, you know, like a corporatist. And he just handed more power and he bailed out the banks and he bailed out Wall Street. And again, working people suffered. And so, you know, in 2016, people were desperate. And so they believe they'll believe anyone, even someone like Trump, who most of what he said on the campaign trail turned out to kind of be a lie. I mean, he said everyone would have health care. And then, you know, when he got in office, he didn't. But the point is, people are so desperate because our government is failing. And I think that there's I think there's a big disconnect on part on the part of a lot of these corporate Democrats, I think they're insulated in Washington and they're in these little bubbles and they're only hearing from consultants and they're only you know, meeting with their Wall Street donors. And so they don't realize because they're so disconnected from the pain of everyday people, the real struggles that are going on right now. And I was a lifelong Democrat for 18 years. And like right. you, I, I, two months ago, watching Pelosi refuse to fight for universal basic income uh, during mm-hmm. the pandemic watching uh, Joe Biden refuse to support Medicare for all and watching mm-hmm. the DNC vote against Medicare for all and mm-hmm. against, uh, you know, they voted against banning corporate lobbyists and they voted against banning corporate money, which is the very thing that is corrupting our political system. So when that happened, I registered as an independent. Um, I couldn't take it anymore after 18 years. So I know there's a lot of people like you and me, Tara, that are just not feeling any representation um, by either political party. No, I think it's kind of like the song, the cult of personality is what mm. it's become, you know, and and um, it reminds me of what Rose McGowan came out and said not too long ago. She's been very vocally supporting me um, as I've moved through this time since I've come forward. And one of the things, you know, she discussed was how the Democratic Party has become like a cult. Mm. And people have already said that about Trump, you know, about the Republican Party, but it's 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 the same kind of thing. We need to we need to take stock at not what they're talking about or the images they're distracting us with, but actually what's happening in our lives systemically. And yes. and for me, um being, you know, a female that raised my child alone with no child support and having known real poverty, housing insecurity. Mm. I know what it's like to almost be homeless. I know what it's like to have it right there facing, facing me head on. Um, the fear that you have is so I it's so deep and so terrifying. And right now my heart goes out to other people that are experiencing that. And just when, even when I came forward, of course I lost my housing. Um, you know, my landlords came and said that they were voting for Biden and they, um, Mm. you know, they, they were afraid of the security risk. They had heard that I had had death threats and they had read the Politico article, which really trashed me. And they, they said I had to leave within 30 days. So Mm. I was evicted. And I know what it's like to face eviction. So, and I'm not afraid to talk about it. I'm not ashamed to talk about it because it's, we're allowing and enabling powerful people to get away with crimes basically just because they have enough money and status. And it's never going to serve the workers. It's never going to serve us as a whole, as a society. And, um, you know, and, and what I've experienced with, with um, food insecurity and housing insecurity millions of Americans are facing right now because of COVID. And right. it's it's bizarre to me that everyone's so caught. Like, I understand why we're talking about Nancy Pelosi's hair blowout, but like, why are Democrats wasting resources defending Pelosi when, pe- you know, millions of people are struggling with food and housing insecurity and they need money in their pockets. Our economy needs to be stabilized. And, you know, we're wasting our time 
talking, you know, they're wasting their time defending her and trying to, you know, make it about, it's not, it's, it's about the fact that people need help right now, or that small business owner needs to be able to open her business or get into, or get some help while she can't and her workers. So they don't get laid off. And, um, those are the conversations that really need to be, you know, happening right now. Like the, the conversations that the people's party is trying to raise, what the conversations that you're, you're trying to raise. Are you trying to say that, uh, politics should be about, uh, policies that, uh, benefit and improve the lives of the American people? <laughs> yes. Gosh. That could get me called the Russian agent, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, no, but you are, you are like hitting, you just hit a home run. I mean, and this is what it's like to live in an oligarchy where you turn on CNN or MSNBC and they're talking about the most frivolous things like, oh my God, Pelosi ripped up Trump's speech and oh my goodness, Trump said this and oh my God, can you believe Trump did this? Meanwhile, people are being evicted. 92 million Americans don't have health care or, or are either uninsured or underinsured. There's 140 million Americans who are either poor or low income. I mean, mm -hmm. 30 million Americans who are not getting enough food to eat. We've got major, major systemic problems. And the only thing that, you know, the corporate media and the, and the establishment politicians want to talk about are these like frivolous things. And meanwhile, it's the people who are getting left behind and, and who are getting left out completely from the conversation. And you're absolutely right. Like the job of the government is to represent the people. But in an oligarchy, it becomes about all this frivolous stuff because right now they're not representing the people. The entire, what happened when COVID struck? Our entire government, both parties, bailed out their corporate donors. They bailed out Wall Street, they bailed out giant corporations, and there was a massive transfer of wealth that occurred to the ruling class. So here we Absolutely. are in a moment of great struggle, and America's billionaires have increased their wealth by over $700 billion. <laughs> They've, our government wow. used a moment of suffering to give a massive wealth transfer to the rich while the, while the poor and the working class and the middle class are all out there struggling and dying and fighting this pandemic that has disproportionately impacted black and brown communities. So, I mean, we have seen a complete failure all around. And then for, you know, for the Democrats to just sit and want to say, blame Trump, blame Trump, again, for people who don't have health care or people who are facing eviction, the last thing on their mind is Donald Trump. They're trying to survive. They're trying mm -hmm. to find a home. They're trying to find health care. They're trying to find food. And I think this is where our politics breaks breaks down why it's class why it's classism. Because you've got mm -hmm. privileged moderates who are just like, how do you guys not understand how dangerous Trump is? And we're sitting there like, how do you guys not understand how dangerous it is to live in a country where the rich keep getting richer and the working class and the poor keep getting poorer and poorer and our systems keep pushing people down and our laws are rigged for the ruling class and rigged against the working class because our government is bought and paid for by the ruling class. And so while we're trying to talk about real issues and saying that's the dangerous part, America's not dying because of one corrupt president. It's dying because our entire system is corrupt. But moderates and centrists, they don't want to hear it. They just want to keep repeating Trump, Trump, Trump. And, and I think that it is going to cost the Democrats the election. I, yeah, it, it may. And I know that there's a lot of political theater right now. And I, I think, you know, as far as, you know, what you mentioned before about um, the, the bait and switch, they call it, when they, they want you to look over somewhere else while something else is happening. That's been going on for a long time, in particular when they wanted to get us into those um, regional, those endless regime wars yep. and, you know, keep that military industrial complex funded. Um, you know, you had a lot of push for that, for that distraction always. Um, and it's effective. And the political theater is something that people watch, I suppose. But now that people's lives are being so impacted, and they have been, you know, like if you've ever re read um, the book Nickeled and Dimed by Eichenberger, have you ever read that book? Um, I that's a no, good book yet. for people to, to, to download, Nickeled and Dimed. Nickeled and Dimed trying to get by on America, but in, in America. But it's, it's a really, um, it's about a journalist that went under, that, that just kind of gave up her privilege and tried to get by 
on wages, working as a motel housekeeper, I think, and some different types of, um, you know, as a cleaner and then worked just different odd jobs trying to get by and, and demonstrating how the system set up so that you can't get out of poverty, you get deeper in. And um, anything that happens to you, such as like, if there's a challenge with, um, you know, the, you know, the minimal infraction of the law, say a traffic infraction, how it can impact financially, and then lead to a, a spiral of events, right? Um, you know, people threw at me that I had my car repossessed. I'll talk about it. Yeah, it was horrible <laughs> having my car repossessed, but I didn't have $600 to give to the auto place and they wouldn't wait. Right. So what do you do? Right. You lose just your like, car. but that's the mere, like right now there, I think it's 60% of the American people mm -hmm. before COVID didn't have six, a $600 in case there was right. a, uh, an emergency. So like your story right. is the American story. Like yeah. it's just, it all gets dressed up. You know, people turn on the news and you know, no one wants to talk about the real problems and that everyone's struggling. And it's almost like we believe this lie of the American dream instead of the reality that the American dream has become a nightmare but for so many people. Yeah, that, that American dream is a nightmare for so many people, Ryan, right on. Like, in fact, it's not even um, not even a nightmare. It just doesn't even exist. It's, it's out mm. of reach. I mean, I mean, think about like when we were young or at least when I was young, the cost of a house was now what a car costs. Or, That's right. That's and, right. And now um, and I don't even know the statistics about education, but the tuition like like uh, Joe Biden was was. Um, scolding young people for complaining about tuition, I think in one of his one of his yep. talks, and it's like how he said he doesn't have any you? empathy for young people, not understanding right. that it is a completely different. You know, back mm -hmm. 40, 50 years ago, capitalism was kind of still working, although it was never working for everyone. But now, mm -hmm. what we have today, I mean, this economy, it, it does not serve our economy right now. Serves the needs of corporations, Wall Street, and the billionaire class, and our economy doesn't value workers, it doesn't value our environment, and so many people have been left behind. And you have students who come out and, and they're paying endless amounts of student loan debt. You know, it's like our systems, again, they're rigged. The laws have been written mm -hmm. to benefit the ruling class and exploit and criminalize the working class and to criminalize poverty. So from, you know, the way we have for-profit prisons to the predatory student loans to our predatory healthcare system to even war and profiting off war and sending innocent, mm -hmm. you know, our innocent troops to go die in these wars that are being fought for the rich and fought for these corporations to make money. Our entire system in America is set up to benefit a few wealthy oligarchs and to hurt everyone else. And it has got to stop. And that's what our revolution is about. I mean, that's why we're starting a people's party. That's why we need brave people like you who will speak truth to power and not be, you know, you hit the nail on the head when you're like, I'm not ashamed of my financial struggles. Like, that's the, like, you shouldn't be ashamed. Just like everyone right now who's listening, who's living in poverty or poor or working class, we have to, we can't be, you can't be ashamed of that because until we identify the problem, we can't solve the problem. So we've got to get out of this thing where it's like, we need to humanize the struggle. We need to humanize poverty and humanize poor and working class people because our system wants to dehumanize them and make it sound like it's their fault. No, it's the rigged system that has been rigged against so many of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and speaking of, of weaponizing shame, I, I just really want to touch on that. We are so socialized in our culture to believe there's something wrong with you if you're poor mm. and right. there's nothing wrong with, in fact, <laughs> there might be something very right because it just means you're not selfish and you're not self-motivated. Maybe you're giving your wealth or whatever you have, you're sharing it or you're helping other people, or maybe you're doing a service job that helps others, or maybe, you know, there's countless other reasons, but, but there's nothing to be ashamed of. And this, like, for instance, the, I remember when I, my story was first coming into the media, I got a message from someone saying, we're, and it was a democratic supporter that said, we're going to post your bankruptcy publicly. You better be quiet. And I wrote back, go ahead. And, and the audacity mm. for, for the media to post and talk about my bankruptcy at a time when, 
you know, beloved stores that people have gone to most of their lives are, are turning upside down. Small businesses yeah. are turning upside down and individuals are filing for bankruptcy. And then to, bl and to blame me and say, I'm less credible because I, I filed bankruptcy. Imagine how people feel when they read that again, it's mm. just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a two pronged message. Right. You don't deserve justice. You don't deserve social justice or criminal justice reform. You don't deserve anything. You're marginalized because you're not part of, you know, you're not part of the ruling class. That's what the message is. Right. And you deserve to be shamed for your economic conditions, which, you know, most people are born into that. And it's, no, it's, it's the fact that they would turn that around on you is just, it's sick. It's evil. It's gaslighting. It's propaganda. It's trying to punish you because you had, you had the courage to stand up to, uh, you know, the corruption and to stand up to someone who hurt you. And I think that that is the story here is our systems are hurting people and, and we need systems. We need an economy that instead of hurting people is lifting people up. You know, we need healing systems, not these corrupt and rigged and immoral systems that have left so many people out of the equation. I want to ask you, uh, Tara, what is it like to hear people say that, that the man who, you know, you're accusing of sexual assault and the man who hurt you, what is it like for, to hear people say that he is the lesser of two evils? Um, that's been stunning to hear mm. that people are so complacent and willing to swallow whatever the DNC is shoving down their throats <laughs> collectively. Um, it's just, I, I'm, I'm really surprised that people don't, I, I don't know if it's exhaustion, fear or what it is. Um, just general fatigue with trying to fight back. Um, but it's, it's a very sad statement to our culture. And it also just kind of reinforces where we're at with, with American culture about, about institutionalized rape and enabling sexual predators to not only get away with their crimes, but to reward them mm. with the most powerful job in the world. And for some reason, people think, I think their first allure of like people like Donald Trump or Joe Biden is that they're seen as strong or they're seen as, you know, whatever. But really, there's more strength and gentleness. And I think, um, mm. you know, candidates like um, Cory Booker and Bernie Sanders and um, Elizabeth Warren and, you know, all the others, actually, all the rest of them kind of more represent true gentle strength. Like you can be strong, but with compassion for the people around you. And I know that there's some, some talk that Joe Biden's compassionate and they bring up the loss he suffered in his life. Yes, he has lost loved ones. Um, I've lost loved ones as well. And it's, I can't imagine losing your children. That's, that's beyond pain. So when I was coming forward, one of the excruciating parts of exposing my history with Joe Biden is that I feel compassion for him. Hmm. And I don't like talking about, I, I didn't like doing that. I didn't like her. I didn't want to think that my words were going to maybe hurt him. So I think that, that that's part of the problem with things like what happened to me for survivors to come forward with a full history is that you have complicated relationships with the person who did it with the person in power, right? Mm -hmm. He was my boss. He's someone I looked up to. He endured great pain in his life. And I saw that, you know, you don't, you don't want to hurt someone. You want to heal past it and you don't want it to be covered up. That's all. So it's not like I wanted to take out Joe Biden. I simply wanted to not keep the secret for this powerful person anymore. And I endured a lot of flack coming forward, as, as I mentioned earlier in, the sh in, in your show, you know, I, I lost my housing, I lost everything, financial, ev everything you can imagine, but there was a freedom mm. in the sense that I was free from that secret. I was, see I was free from having to cover that up myself. And all I can do now is reach back to survivors behind me mm. and hope that I can clear a path so that they don't have to endure what I've endured when they come forward about a powerful person. I don't, I don't know if I've even come near that. I, that's a goal, I guess, to make it so that the next person that comes forward against a powerful person 
can do so with dignity and grace and not be have their life destroyed. Hmm. I mean, that is so powerful that here you are in a moment of great suffering and, and personal struggle, and you are thinking of others. You know, you are thinking of how your story can help others uh, come forward and help others, uh, like you said, become free. And, and to hear, Tara, just you talk so uh, openly about your personal liberation, like you should be so proud of yourself for standing in your truth and doing it in a way that is, that is dignified. And, um, you know, I think, you know, you talk about Joe Biden's loss, like, look, we all go, you know, life is a series of events where we all go through things. We all suffer. We all, you know, you know, whether it's financial or personal or losing a loved one, like we all have struggles. Um, God knows I've had my fair share, but it's about what happens after. It's about do we use our experiences and channel that pain we've had to help others? And one of the things that really got me with Joe Biden, like I was just not cool with this, is he actually used the death of his son to fight against a single-payer Medicare for All healthcare system that would save over 80,000 lives a year. Around 80,000 people die a year because our predatory healthcare system leaves them behind. So for him to kind of use the death of his son to maintain the status quo and use it to maintain uh, the ACA and Obamacare, which is a for-profit predatory healthcare system that was a giant gift to the insurance companies, for him to do that, it was like, I feel for his loss, but you're supposed to take that loss and help the world and heal the world. And he took it to like keep the world the way it is. And the way the world is right now is not, health, is not okay because it's hurting lots of people. Right. And his health care plan, Joe Biden's health care plan, leaves over 10 million people without insurance. And it leaves even more that can't really afford the public option that he talks about so much. So I just I'm struck by the by the contrast in in your story, Tara, versus Joe Biden's story, that you are actually trying to use your experience of, of pain and suffering to, that was inflicted upon you to help people. And Joe Biden is still in a place where he's using his pain to still continue systems that are hurting people. It's, a, it's quite a contrast. Well, it's all about protecting his power, you know, and, and I think um, it's, it's the, you know, the same thing you're seeing with Nancy Pelosi and her leadership position and Schumer. They're protecting their power and they're protecting their donor, you know, their donors' powers. Right. And it's not even about their personalities and their, their propaganda. It's not about their propaganda. It's about really um, who's behind, the, who's pulling those puppet strings. It's those multinational corporations, those boards, those individuals that are gaining so much wealth that are quietly in the background watching all of this theater when they That's both right. don't. I think in, in essence, there's with the ruling class, the, the most elite, I don't think they care who wins red or blue. It's true. It's simply it's true. a game that's yep. being played out. They're simply doing it in a way that the players, you know, that are effective you know, they take away the power like of Bernie, someone like Bernie Sanders, who would have brought systemic change. They're just preventing Correct. that. So it's all about right. preventing that systemic change. Well, and because, again, the ruling class, you know, they give about half their money to the red team and half to the blue team. So mm -hmm. whichever side wins every two years for Congress or four years for the White House, uh, they win because they've hedged their bets and they, you know, they own both parties. So you're absolutely right. Like it. Th their goal this cycle was to stop Bernie Sanders. They wanted to stop systemic change. Uh, so no, you're absolutely right about that. Because Bernie got a movement going and the movement now has led on to other things. And hopefully like the People's Party will gain its, its you know, momentum and perspective and join together with other like-minded folks that can, you know, uh, we can get out of the dualistic, you know, political party, which I don't think is serving our, our, our populace at all. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, we th that is, for me, it's like we've got to break the duopoly. Until we break the stranglehold of corporate greed that rules Washington and the giant corporations who rule and control both parties, 
Joe Biden said it best, nothing will fundamentally change. And that's why I've started helping the, the people's part, the movement for a people's party, which is, you know, a lot of people from Bernie's 2016 campaign uh, organizing and to build uh, a new progressive party for 2024. Uh, you know, building a party takes a lot of work. So we've got a, you know, a lot of stuff we got to do, but we just had our convention last weekend and it went great. And the, the reaction uh, was amazing. And I know we're going to have future events that we would love to have you, Tara, speak at. Uh, but you're right, it is. It is about challenging power because right now the people in Washington are using their power to, to hurt the working class and they're using their power to make the rich richer. And we need people and we need political parties and politicians who want to use their power to actually help the people and to give the people more power. Because right now so many people don't have any economic power in this country. No, there's no seat at the table for the working class right now. I mean, you saw the union busting that happened in Wisconsin before the 2016 with, with Scott Walker, you know, and that was That's the right. Koch brothers that were behind all that. And that was more like their kind of um, craven sociology experiment, right? Like, let's see if we can break up the unions. And they did. And and that damage has been done. And um, I think people are realizing that unions that are free from corruption that help workers will gain them rights they'll gain them health care they'll gain them a decent living wage if they're allowed to um but again it's it's you know it's a fight that's it's a struggle that's been going on for a long time in our country yep. with ebbs and flows and as you said capitalism stopped working a while ago for most people um yeah and now i think we're seeing it cycle kind of where it could actually affect whether our state of democracy continues or enters into a state of authoritative fascism. And we'll have to see what path we take. Um, hopefully, collectively, we'll, we'll take a, a path of healing and transformative institutionalized change. But it's going to take bravery and it's going to take strong voices and it's going to be people that have to be able to um, withstand a lot of pushback. Yeah, no, and, and you are so on point. I mean, tr Donald Trump is not an anomaly. He did not just fall out of the sky. Donald Trump is what happens when you have a government that puts the endless greed of the 1% over the dignity of the 99%. And if we don't come together collectively and, and embrace the fundamental changes that we need, this nation will topple. I mean, all you have to do is look at history. Go back and look at history. Every empire falls because of one common thread, and it is greed. Greed. It is the greed. You know, you look at the Roman Empire, you look at mm -hmm. Egypt, you look at all these powerful societies mm -hmm. at one point. It's always greed that takes them down. And, and greed will mm -hmm. take us down, too, if we don't embrace the fundamental changes we need to build a more uh, sustainable uh, and just uh, economy that actually, you know, takes care of our planet and, and takes care of our people. And so, no, we are like, and that's where it's like, it's not just about Democrat and Republican anymore. It's not, it's not liberal versus conservative. It's the people versus the machine. It's the people versus the oligarchy. It's the people versus, you know, this corrupt government that only serves the ruling class. So that's why, like, we need to break out of these tribal you know, partisan boxes we put ourselves in and start to bring the people together because we have so, it's like they're, they're you know, Republicans, independents, Democrats, like we all deserve a better country than this. Yes, we do. We, we deserve, we deserve a um, dignified way to make a living, um, have a living wage, have education and healthcare. Um, and and to, to be able to just, have those basic needs met so that we can go to a higher potential and also mm. build healthier communities. And we're not going to do that if, if people are hoarding wealth. And um, unfortunately, the wealth is, is limited. So there is, it's not limitless. There is, an unlim there is a limit to it. And we have to look at what that is and, and try to distribute it more fairly and more evenly. It's just simply the way it's got to be um, in order for mm. communities to thrive. But you're right. We're going to end up failing as a state if we don't have, you know, people that are healthy and able to access, you know, what they need, food, housing, medical care. 
And if you take all that away, what do you have left? You know, and you know, you have nothing, you have nothing left. You have no hope. Once people start losing hope, um, which we're getting close to doing, that's, that's the time when, when states start looking at um, revolutions happening. And I think everyone's been pushed to the limit where we're ready for a revolution. We're ready for systemic change. So how will we go about getting it? That's another question. Yep. And the, the, the corrupt politicians and the ruling class will only have themselves to blame because like we've given them every opportunity to work with us. And, you know, I gave the Democratic Party so many opportunities uh, to work with progressive activists and to work with groups to, you know, have meaningful policy that actually benefits the working class. And you know what they did this cycle, Tara? Instead of wanting to work with progressive activists, they want to work with never Trump Republicans. They want to work with, you know, Bush right. warmongering Republicans. They, the, you know, the, the DNC and the corporate Democrats have more disdain for their progressive base and they're trying to chase, like, a small amount of Republicans that like, you know what I mean? That like they may or may not get when it's all about, they're literally spitting in the face of 40% of their base. And if they just turn out their base, they'll win the election. But we're not going to sit here and take the abuse anymore. Like, I'm not going to sit here. Like you won't support any of the policies that we want. You won't support Medicare for all. You won't support a green new deal. You know, you won't support the bold change we need. So we're just like, no, enough is enough. Like, we're not going to play this game with you anymore. Because, look, America's never going to get better if we have two parties that both represent the ruling class. You know, if we have two parties that both represent giant corporations and Wall Street, one party right. has to represent the people. One party has to represent the working class. And we don't have that right now. So we got to, like you said, like we do need, we need a revolution of racial and economic justice in this country. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to stop fighting for it because our lives are on the line. And we, we see the games that these politicians play and how they put one, you know, you turn on Fox News and it's like they're sitting there telling everyone like, oh, look, it's liberals are the problem. And then you turn on MSNBC and they're like, oh, look, it's conservatives are the problem. The truth is, no, like they're both the problem. Both mm -hmm. corporate parties are the problem. They are putting the needs of the, you know, the greed of the 1% over the needs of the 99%. And while we're all busy fighting each other, we're not noticing that they're rigging the system against us. And I think as we continue this movement uh, for a more equitable and just society, I think more and more people on both sides of the aisle will start to wake up and more Republicans, more independents, more Democrats will start to wake up and see that like neither party's on our side. So we do have to form a movement and push and build a new party that is on our side. Um, I want to end the show by giving you just an opportunity, you know, there's been so much uh, disinformation in the press about you. There's been so many um, ridiculous attacks. And I just want to give you an opportunity to let America know, you know, who Tara Reid is and what your hopes are for yourself, for your family and for our country. Well, thank you, um, Ryan, because it's been really enlightening, you know, being on your show, too. I've, I've learned things as, as you were talking, and I, I've also hoped that I've you know, talked about things that are relevant to, to others um, listening. Um, one of the things that, you know, I, I really want to say to survivors, really, or whoever needs to hear this, um, who maybe knows a survivor or who, you know, is helping someone who's been through something like this that wants to come forward is don't use um, what happened to me as far as being smeared in, a, in the press as an example of what can happen. I think it was um, I think we can move beyond that conversation. And I think that, you know, I'm still standing, mm. you know, I've, I've received a lot of, um, you know, silly allegations that I was a Russian agent, which is ridiculous. I'm not. And other, other, um, you know, hurtful things that were said about me. Um, and I think the best advice I can give to someone who's grappling with whether to come forward is that what I said earlier about freedom is that keeping that secret and not shining a light on what happened really hurt me in ways that are hard to define. Mm. And in the long term, it's better to release yourself from that secret and to be free of it. Um, and I hope for my family, 
one of the things my daughter said to me in 2019 about coming forward was she said, well, Joe Biden's too powerful. You can't do that. Mm. And, and then I knew I had to mm. um, because I don't want this to become generational mm. that the next generation behind me thinks that because someone's powerful and something happens, you can't discuss it. You have to stay silent and hidden. Mm. Always speak your truth to power. There is a risk, but the risk is so worth it. And the freedom that you get and the encouragement and support you do get from others, even if it's quietly behind the scenes, it, it's there and, and you'll come through it and you'll be okay. So I hope I'm setting a good example for my daughter and for other people. Um, and my hope for the future for our country is that we can truly have institutionalized rape culture change. We can have a different conversation when a survivor comes forward, a different way of handling it where their lives don't have to be destroyed. And I also hope that we can push against this class warfare, that we can make it about provide more balance and a more even playing field so that people have a chance to thrive mm. and grow and change. And, you know, I really think that this election is going to be just one more pivotal moment in history, whether, you know, and how we approach it is going to be, um, you know, in the history books. <laughs> and I would really push back against those who think it's okay to have the choice be between two misogynistic white males that do not have the working class interest in mind mm. um, or gender equality to push back. We can have better choices and we can create a better future. And now is the time to, to take that stand and to push that forward. Whew. I, uh, I'm just like, I'm in awe of you, Tara. Like you're, you have taught me so much uh, in this hour. Like I'm in awe of your, your courage. I'm in awe of how in uh, confronting one of the most painful experiences in your life, how, you know, doing that has uh, as hard as that was and as painful as that was and as much blowback as you received, that you are still standing and that you liberated yourself and you freed yourself. And I think, you know, now that you've done that, you are trying to help other people become free and trying to help liberate other people. And at the end of the day, like, I think that's what this journey we're on is all about. I think that's why we're all here. We're not here to hurt people. We're, we're here to help people. You know, we're here to humble people and to empower people uh, and to, you know, encourage people to fight for the, for the nation they deserve and for the country they deserve uh, and for the government they deserve and for the lives they deserve. And I think for so long, you know, we've lived in a country that puts the greed of a few uh, over the dignity of the many. And I think we're entering a new era of politics now, a new dawn where human welfare comes before corporate welfare uh, and where human need uh, comes before corporate greed and where the sustainability of our planet and our ecosystems comes before the profitability of giant corporations. So I think your ability to speak truth to power and to honor yourself, Tara, and to, and to fight for yourself has really lifted the conversation. And really, um, I think what you're doing is so important for, for sexual assault survivors, but also for the larger conversation about what kind of nation do we want to be, right? You know, do we want to continue to be this greedy, corrupt, uh, capitalistic nation, or do we want to be a, a free, social, democratic nation? And uh, that's really the two choices we have. So uh, I'm honored to have this hour with you, um, and I thank you for uh, your courage and everything that you've gone through to get to where you are today. Well, thank you, Ryan. And it's been an honor to be on your show and I really appreciate it. And I look forward to, uh, to, uh, listening and learning more about, um, what's coming with the people's party and, and the upcoming events. So thank you so much.
You are most welcome. And thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll catch you next week with an all new episode of Amped Up with Ryan Knight. I hope you enjoyed uh, my conversation with Tara Reed. I was completely blown away by her honesty and her uh, her fight and uh, for owning her truth and also seeing the bigger picture and helping liberate others and helping other uh, survivors come forward and giving them the courage to come forward and also just seeing how she gets that all the systemic uh, problems in our country like she just she gets it and I was completely blown away Uh, I also want to let you guys know that Tara has a fund uh, to raise money uh, for uh, it's the NVRDC it's a nonprofit that gives survivors of sexual assault uh, physical, emotional, and legal services. Uh, if you guys want to uh, help out and contribute, if you can, go to uh, www.gofundme.com slash F slash aid dash Tara dash read. Uh, and again, I will post that link when I post the podcast. And also, I want to thank all of our Patreon subscribers who support the podcast and make this podcast possible. I want to thank Sean O'Brien, Mason, Charlie Wilkin, Sean Stubblefield, Stanley Kerensky, William McLaughlin, DJ Comatos, Frank Cardenas, Joyce Yang, Jeremy Leeming, Liz Kirkland, Jeff Bonner, William Holtz, Trent Tobler, Michael Hardy, Molly Secors, Insurgent, Alexandra Orso, Shanna Pearson, Patty Cleary, Walter Hackett, Alan Wood, Russell Whitworth, Ruben Sanchez Jr., Elizabeth Kim, John Lloyd IV, and Eileen O'Farrell. Thank you so much for subscribing and, and being a Patreon subscriber to the podcast. And if you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash proudsocialist. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Amped Up, and I hope you have a great weekend, and I'll catch you next week.